Mass customization, what does that mean? We're speaking with Sean Quinn. He is the Chief Financial Officer of Simpress. Sean, tell us about Simpress. Simpress is the, the name of the publicly traded parent company, and Simpress invests in and grows uh, mass customization businesses that leverage the scale of the combined businesses that we have. Um, now, many of you wouldn't recognize Simpress as a name itself uh, because we don't actually go to market with that name. Uh, uh, we have 15 or so businesses uh, underneath Simpress, one of which is Vistaprint. And just to make that tangible, our businesses provide uh, things like custom uh, marketing products and signage and apparel or promotional products, packaging, and a lot of other custom items to small and medium businesses and also to, to consumers. Can you give us scope of the company? Give us your, your, your size, your revenue, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm the chief financial officer of Simpress, the parent company. Uh, I also am in the role of chief financial officer of our largest operating business, which is Vistaprint. As mentioned, um, uh, I joined the company in 2009. To put it in perspective, uh, we had roughly uh, $500 million of revenue back then uh, and roughly $50 million of free cash flow. Um, uh, now, uh, in the calendar year 2019, so the year that just ended, um, we had a, just under three billion, so about 2.8 billion of revenue uh, all around the world. We had about 300 million dollars, or approaching 300 million dollars of free cash flow. So we've we've grown quite a bit, both organically and inorganically. Um, interestingly, we also have about half the amount of shares we had outstanding back then, 10 years ago. So we've we've done a lot uh, over the last decade, uh, as is evident through those numbers. Um, and the other thing uh, I should say about the company is that we are founder-led. And in 2015, actually, Robert, our CEO and founder, was on CXO and uh, had a great time doing that with Michael. Um, so the company's founder-led. Um, it's very long-term focused, and we've been fortunate that we've been able to attract shareholders that uh, eagerly have a long-term focus. Uh, and so we do that in partnership with them. Um, but we're still investing a lot. And so in many ways, it's, uh, it's almost like a large uh, startup. Uh, with this long-term focus and uh, founder who, who leads us every day. What is mass customization? So mass customization basically allows uh, the production of small quantities of custom things with the unit economics of mass production. So it basically it breaks the traditional trade-off that uh, we have between price and volume that uh, traditionally says that small quantities of custom things have a high unit cost. And there's countless examples of that. It could be a, you know, a bespoke suit is a lot more expensive than a suit at a large you know, box retailer. Um, and so it breaks that trade off. And so with mass customization, small volume orders become economically feasible because we can aggregate and produce those small orders together. And then we amortize the setup and the labor and production and technology costs across those many orders. And so I'll just give you like a, a very specific example uh, for our, our uh, in our Vistaprint business, which produces billions of business cards per year for millions of small business customers around the world. Um, and the pre-press operations, so the things that happen before we actually uh, print those business cards, the actual production, the finishing, the packaging, all those processes, they're highly automated. And so much so that the labor for, uh, for those cards is as little as about 10 seconds um, per package, despite the fact that you know, we have operations running almost 24-7 uh, uh, in very large facilities. So, um, uh, But it, it reduces that, that unit cost down to a level that uh, becomes you know, very acceptable and attractive. And there's a lot of other benefits that come with mass customization. So it's not just the economic benefits, but also 
when you produce in that way and you use technology uh, and these very structured uh, process and workflows, um, it means that speed can be faster uh, for our customers. It means that the personal relevance of these products is very high because they're each custom. Um, it means that we can offer a lot more product choice. And it also means that quality can be a lot higher, despite, again, the fact that these are small orders and they're, they're each unique. All of your businesses are based on this principle of mass customization. Correct. Correct. And each in different ways. So they may serve different customer segments. They may go to market a bit different. Um, but mass customization is at the heart of each of the businesses. Um, and for the most part, they're all also through an e-commerce uh, interface. Although that's not uh, that's not 100% uh, the case, but for, for most of our businesses, that is the case. This is all based on various kinds of technologies that you've purchased or developed. And so when you view the business, do you see it primarily through the lens of you are a technology company or you're a business card company or what are you? There's a broad selection of products that we offer our customers. And uh, even though you know, at our roots, uh, you know, if you go back uh, you know, maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago, people uh, knew Vistaprint as a small business card company. Um, uh, and so, um, so no, it's, it's very much not the business card company. I, I always think about it as um, we are uh, at, our, at the heart of it, a technology company. And the output of much of that technology is that we ultimately are producing or printing something for our customers. But you know, it's the orchestration in all of our businesses. It's the orchestration of a lot of different things. And again, printing is oftentimes the output of that. But it's technology, it's marketing, it's using data, um, and so it's. Uh, uh, but technology is at the root of of almost everything that we do. Do you have a common platform that serves your various businesses? We do. We've evolved a lot as a uh, uh, organizationally, and that is also included evolving our approach to developing technology and having a platform that serves all of our businesses. Um, and you know, you I think it was in 2015 that you interviewed Robert, uh, who's as I mentioned is our CEO. Um, and since then, we've changed actually quite a bit, and we've also acquired a number of other businesses as well. But we've moved the the company to a very um, decentralized organizational structure, um, and there's a number of things that then hold these companies together to make them more valuable than they would be if they were on their own. Um, and I can get into what those are, but one of those is technology. And so we are centrally developing technology every year in what we call our mass customization platform to allow our businesses to uh, interact. Uh, and just to use a sp specific example that um, uh, over the platform, uh, two of our businesses are able to access the production capabilities of the other one by routing orders where it makes sense over that platform in a very seamless way. We're also developing central, uh, centrally technology that is relevant for each of our businesses, but might be used in different ways. And when that technology is developed, it's done in like small bite-sized pieces so that it can be orchestrated in different ways uh, by each of our businesses. And the advantage there is that if you think about one of these businesses on their own, if it was, let's say, 20, 30, or 50 million in revenue, you know, it wouldn't be able to allocate uh, as much capital to technology development as we can. And so we do that centrally. And then the unit cost of that development is less because we can sort of amortize that or get the benefit uh, of that over many of our businesses. We have a question from Wayne Anderson. 
who asks, when you look at the leverage of scale and mass customization at Simpress, have you been able to leverage that autom automation experience for internal employee experience customization in some way? In terms of employee impact for, for these things, uh, you know, I, as I said before, that we've moved to this very decentralized organizational structure and um, we're developing a lot of technology and other things essentially for the benefit of all of our businesses. And so, um, you know, we're constantly thinking about, you know, how we can um, uh, develop new technology, innovate, have more focused uh, production capabilities, improve production capabilities. And so um, our uh, team members around the world who may be in a production facility, they may be in a uh, facility that is uh, speaking to customers every day. Uh, it could be dealing with design, it could be dealing with marketing, but in, in some way, all of them are having an impact on, on this and ultimately uh, this ability to bring mass customization out to the market through these products. Uh, and so it really does run throughout everything we do. I'm not sure if that gets to the question, but again, uh, just correct me if, if, if you want anything else. David Dalka makes the point, you were, we were talking about um, organizational structure, and he says that from his point of view, their uh, businesses around the world do not yet have the right kind of advisors to create that change in organizational structure that you were describing. If I look back over the last three or four years, it's one of the biggest changes that we've made. Uh, and just for context, you know, we... Um, so we started out as just Vistaprint. So Simpress was uh, once Vistaprint, the, the, the whole company was Vistaprint and the company grew uh, you know, very, very quickly. And then we started to acquire other businesses. And one of the things that made Vistaprint so great, uh, and it goes back to the unit economics of mass customization I talked about before, was the ability to drive massive scale through these centralized operations um, that were, you know, if you think about it, we were pumping, you know, millions of transactions that were each heterogeneous through these highly centralized, highly structured uh, uh, production facilities and processes. And, uh, and, and that was great for Vistaprint. And so we started to acquire businesses and we used the same mindset, which was, hey, we're going to centralize everything, fully integrate and make it hyper efficient. And what we found was we were, we were acquiring these businesses that we we acquired because we thought they were great businesses, they were entrepreneurial, they were moving quickly, they were nimble. And th th that time uh, and integration effort was basically crushing the some of the reason that we bought them and, and they were becoming less nimble, it was becoming more complex, it was taking longer to make decisions. And ultimately, as we were starting to see that creep up and creep up, we, we came to the decision of, we actually need to do this very differently. and. So we intentionally made the trade-off of efficiency in many cases for speed, nimbleness, being closer to the customer. And so we moved to this very decentralized organizational structure. We did have some outside help uh, when we went through that change. It was a really big change for the company and one that was really tough to go through. Uh, now I can say uh, that you know, three years later, we're just a, a little bit over three years from that change, it's really helped us uh, and it's helped us get um, uh, move, to, move a lot quicker. It's simplified our structure. Uh, it's allowed us to be closer to our customer. And, and really helpfully, especially for me and my role, it's helped to evaluate accountability because it is super clear what our results are, uh, where we're allocating capital, 
And we can make judgments based on that that were a little bit foggy before because things were so integrated and it was tough to assign responsibility or accountability to one person or function. Would it be accurate to say that scale and centralization are the two pillars, two core pillars, or is that not quite right? Scale, absolutely. Um, uh, centralization, uh, not so much. So um, scale is, 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 is critical to, uh, to this business. And, um, you know, if you, if I go back to the Vistaprint example, you know, the average order value for a Vistaprint customer might be something like, you know, $50. Um, and the business itself is, it's highly capital intensive. Uh, if you went into one of our production facilities in Windsor, Ontario, or in Venlo in the Netherlands, or, uh, just outside of Melbourne in, uh, Australia for Vistaprint, you would walk into a you know, large facility that has a lot of what looks like very industrial equipment. Um, a lot of people, we have large uh, centers in Jamaica and Tunisia and Berlin and Manila uh, with thousands of people that are serving our customers every day. We have large marketing teams. We spend a lot on advertising, a lot on technology. And so there's a, there's a lot of scale that's needed to, to make sure the orchestration of those things is leading to you know, uh, economic, uh, unit cost that, that makes sense. Uh, and so scale, absolutely. Uh, scale is critical to the business. Centralization is one that it plays a role. Um, and I think the question is at what level is it required? And as I said before, you know, we thought when we were starting to buy other companies that we should centralize everything. And what we found was that that actually wasn't the right choice because we were optimizing for one thing, but sub-optimizing for a lot of other things that we felt like on balance were more valuable. And so, you know, today in Vistaprint or today in, you know, some of our businesses in Europe, Pixar Printing, for example, or National Pen, they themselves have highly centralized production operations for their business. Um, but we don't do that at the Simpress level. We do it at the kind of per business level. And they we do it where it makes sense. And then we're able to connect all these businesses through other things, whether that's technology we talked about before, whether it's procurement, right, and getting the benefit of scale, as you talked about scale, um, but doing that uh, uh, while still giving these businesses the autonomy to serve their customers the way they uh, think they should. We do it through things like talent infrastructures. We've built up a talent infrastructure in India. So all these businesses can tap into that for accessing uh, talent, which exists you know, in a huge way in India, uh, whether it's for software development or other things. But again, to do it in a way where they still uh, lead that team, that team feels part of their business, but we take care of everything else for them. So there's a role for each. The centralization thing is where we didn't get that uh, right uh, initially. And so we had to make some adjustments on exactly where that fit in. We have a question from Jason Averbuck asks, how do you do both at the same time, which is to say to operate and to innovate? there's a, a number of pieces to it. So one is, um, uh, you know, I think that at least for us, um, we are very comfortable, uh, both taking risk and recognizing that we're going to fail on some of the things that we, that we do. And so that's where I think some innovation and operation can go hand in hand where, you know, it's okay. It's okay. If not, everything's going to work. If, if, if everything goes well, we're probably not pushing hard enough. And so, um, uh, being okay with, with, with failure. And of course you want to do that fast and you want to do it in small ways. 
um, and do it where the cost of that failure is not going to be high. Um, but that's where I think every day, uh, to, to in some way, in our operations, you know, we can be testing and learning uh, and innovating. Now, that's at a small scale. I think on a larger scale, uh, it's about uh, having the right horizon. And for us, you know, we have you know, we we try and really force ourselves to think with a long term mindset and not be afraid of investing in the operations today, even if it uh, either um, uh, has a near-term negative consequence or um, requires more resource or slows us down or whatever it might be, if we think that that's the right thing, the right innovation or the right investment for the long-term. And we've really tried to wire that into how we do everything at the company. And that's not an easy thing to do. And I'm not saying we've done that perfectly, but um, uh, again, I think that they kind of go hand in hand, that op- the operations and, and the innovation. Chelsea Ryan asks, what advice would you give to other finance leaders who want to have a bigger role in innovation? I think there's a, f- a few things. One is that, you know, increasingly, and this is not, this is not unique to our business, of course, you know, today, I think data is absolutely critical. And so I think if you're in a finance role, being able to more smartly leverage data to inform innovation for the business, I think is hugely critical. Uh, whether that is um, uh, the finance organization taking ownership for some of that data and analytics or working in close partnership um, with uh, the folks that do that. So you know, when you can speak through data uh, and to have a more informed opinion on these things, then you know, I, think that that, I think that that's critical. I think the other one is that I think as a I think the finance function in any company plays a role in making sure that sort of the, the, the framework that's being used for making decisions, including innovation, you know, is an appropriate one. And that also is going to differ from company to company. It's based on what your goals are and ultimately your objectives. It's also based on what your shareholders expect. Um, but nonetheless, finance should be at the lead of that. And um, and I think that also goes hand in hand with, uh, with, with innovation as well. Um, and then I'd say the last thing, um, I, was at a, uh, I was at a CFO event, uh, I think it was back in November, and there was a lot of great companies represented there. And, um, and actually, Michael Dell happened to be one of the speakers. And he had said that um, he looks at the role of the CFO, and I would broaden this out to say even the finance function as I think he's. I think he used the words uh, "the constant agitator for progress," and and I thought that was great, and uh, and I think that also hooks into this concept of innovation as well, where you know if the CFO or the finance function is the constant agitator for progress, you know, you're always you know pushing things, testing things, using data, um, and that doesn't necessarily happen in a straight line, but in the end, pushing the business forward, pushing your function forward, um, and so. You know, for the person that asked the question, I would encourage them to, to, to use that as a, as a framework. Danielle Capers asks, what are some of the unique challenges of being a CFO in a company like Simpress that cuts across traditional manufacturing and e-commerce? And let me just append, I was just going to ask you to tell us the difference between what Simpress does and traditional manufacturing. So maybe this is like a good way to weave both of those together. In terms of the difference between what we do and what, you know, maybe a traditional manufacturer would do is um, it goes back to the, um, this notion of mass customization and you know, leveraging 
technology and marketing and process and all these other things to be able to drive you know, large volumes of heterogeneous uh, uh, orders or things through homogeneous workflows and process and uh, technology, and then chopping them up into these small uh, individual orders and sending them out. So th that's the thing that's unique is that um, uh, is that we are you know at scale driving you know, huge volumes through uh, our businesses, but each of very small orders that themselves are unique. And contrast that to let's say a um, I don't know you know a car manufacturer that you know might be doing you know twenty thousand units of the exact same thing, or if you put that into uh, a printing context, you know. Um, uh, contrast that with, let's say, uh, a company that might be doing you know, a run of 100,000 units of the exact same thing. What we're doing is also that huge volume, but each of the orders very small and each unique. So I think that's the, that's the big difference. And so relating it back to the first question, which is, well, you know, what are the, some of the unique challenges or how do you, you, know, how do, you do that? Um, one, it's far more technology intensive. And, uh, and so, you know, we are trying to be on the, you know, the cutting edge of technology that's unique for our industry or for our businesses. And at the same time, leverage things that are commercially available for best in class technology, be it, you know, uh, uh, you know, data storage, uh, be it security, um, uh, be it basic e-commerce functionality. And so, um, so we have both you know, that challenge plus the you know, scaled production challenge, um, and then also the challenge of being a global business. And so it's, it's really, really interesting to be in uh, my role and hopefully for all of our team members, it's really, really interesting to have both the e-commerce, you know, technology side of things, have a global business where you're interacting with people from all over the world, but at the same time have large production uh, where you have all the challenges of, of, of production and have uh, customer care centers with thousands of people that are talking to our customers every day. Um, and if you think about it, all of that stuff orchestrated together is resulting in these uh, oftentimes very small businesses coming to us to get 100 business cards that they've designed or getting 50 flyers for something that they're going to do you know, in their community or getting one sign for the farmer's market that they may be going to uh, this weekend and all in support of yeah, their own lifestyle and their, and their life. And so it's a really cool interplay when you put all that stuff together. And, uh, and I think it's, it's pretty unique today where um, you don't often have that mix of technology and making, making things, especially making things for small businesses in order for them to hopefully live their dreams. So getting then back to the other part of Danielle's question, that then is the intersection of manufacturing, this mass customization manufacturing and the e-commerce. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, uh, and, you know, and then, you know, you put it into the context of you know, my role or our, our team. Um, uh, one, you know, my team itself is, is broad in terms of the functions that it, that it covers, but then even in the financial world, you have to have people that are great in the manufacturing side of things. Um, and you have to have people that are great in the marketing side of things. And, you know, so there's, there's uh, a lot of different skill sets that are required and also need to be orchestrated together in the right way. 
when you're building this the strategy for for this kind of business, what is the role of finance both in helping develop that strategy and also in developing the innovation strategy? So what's the role of finance in this? At our company, of course, finance can mean different things to different companies and um, and there is the role for the for the bean counters and and um, uh, a very important role, I should say as, as well. Um, uh, and so in our, in our company, um, the things that are in my teams is actually quite broad and we work very collaboratively, collaboratively together. So it can range from all the finance functions like, uh, FP&A and, and the controllership function and, um, uh, treasury and investor relations and our tax team, uh, but also human resources, communications, um, uh, uh, you know, our, our procurement team, which is, you know, very strategic and working across all of our businesses, um, uh, our legal team, uh, and our business development team, right? So there's, there's a lot of different functions. Um, and, uh, and we work collaboratively, you know, uh, across to, uh, to, to really deliver everything that you just, that you just mentioned. Yeah. I think for us specifically, um, you know, there's a, a lot of things that we need to focus on. One is, um, making sure that in this decentralized structure that I mentioned, um, that uh, that we're doing the right things financially, and we have uh, enough of an uh, an understanding of and control of what's happening, despite this decentralized structure. And then within each of our businesses, to make sure that we have finance partners that are right next to our business leaders uh, every day, uh, uh, being a, a lens and a, and a and a guide for the decisions that get made, including for innovation. And you know, we really try and push uh, our businesses to think maybe differently than many traditional businesses would think. And so um, even recently, we've made a lot of changes and we've been explicit with some of our businesses that you know, re revenue is not, uh, is not the, uh, the key thing that we're trying to, to drive. Revenue has to be an outcome, for example, of innovation and of investment and attracting great customers and serving those customers well and great operational focus. And so that, that's not always obvious for people. And so it's important that we uh, in the finance function, but those other functions I mentioned too, are really pushing the whole business forward and making sure that we're focused on the right things. And I really think that if you get that done well, one, it's, it's kind of good hygiene, table stakes, you know, but if you get that done well, you know, it can have a massive impact. And we oftentimes talk about just making constant progress. And uh, we have shareholders and board members that, you know, give us that um, uh, consistent feedback as well. And, uh, and I think the finance function is the one that should be the, the real driver of that. In your business, particularly, where scale is so crucial, it seems that uh, the financial, and I'm not even sure what the right term is, a uh, term would be financial um, engineering, financial planning is I'm not sure what the right term is. It seems like like that financial role is of particularly great importance because without the scale, you can't operate your your company. That's correct. Yeah. And so that comes down to a lot, you know, a lot of different aspects. Um, one of which, you know, uh, as you know, anyone that follows us can see like, you know, we invest a lot of capital every year and we want to continue to be able to invest a lot of capital every year. And We've gone through periods where that means, you know, acquiring other businesses. We've gone through periods where that means, um, uh, you know, a lot of organic investment in our businesses. We've gone through periods where that may mean 
uh, buying back a lot of our shares, uh, or paying down debt, other things. And so um, because of our ambitions, uh, but also because of uh, investments to achieve scale and to continue to push on technology and some of the other things we've talked about so far in our discussion, um, you, meet, you need capital and capital availability. And so um, you know, we're regularly looking at our capital structure. We're, we obviously want to make that efficient, but we also want to make sure it's flexible so that we can continue to push forward in all these areas. And there'll be different mixes each year and different levels each year, uh, but we want to make sure that that opportunity is there for us. I'm assuming also that as the company has developed and refined its business model, that you as the representative of finance has been uh, really intimately involved in that aspect of it. Correct. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that is, um, I think, no matter what the scope of uh, a, a CFO role is, and again, it's different company to company, I described a little bit about what's in ours. You know that part of it is absolutely crucial, and it's table stakes. And you know, we obviously have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders first and foremost. But um, that uh, need to have uh, the ability to continue to invest, have that flexibility, um, has to be you know job number one. And uh, and so uh, we focus on that regularly. Uh, I mean, we just a couple of weeks ago uh, evolved our capital structure. Again, we do it uh, on a regular basis, and and that's not just me. There's uh, a, a tremendous amount of people on the team that are highly talented and are are, are uh, you know doing that every you know, every 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 week day, um, looking at the necessary things and making sure that we're we're doing the right things uh, to, to to allow for that flexibility, but also for our shareholders. Are there things that you've had to do? Uh differently at Simpress from a finance standpoint because of the nature of the, the type of business and this mass customization business model different, differently than, than one might expect to see in, in a other, another kind of business or another manufacturing business? I'm not sure it's necessarily so different other than um, just thinking about, especially now that we have you know, a group of businesses you know, making sure that we've set up the right framework to think about where we invest every year, how that investment gets deployed, and making sure that we have a framework also for thinking about the trade-offs of investing further in our businesses that we have versus maybe acquiring another business or doing other things. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing that's you know, unique. And some of that uniqueness is not even necessarily our business model as such, um, uh, but rather kind of the company structure and the fact that Simpress is, you know, more or less a holding company with, you know, 13 or so businesses underneath it. And what's the best you know, framework to use to make sure we're doing the right things. Um, uh, so I think that's the thing that's most unique, but it does, it does require, you know, uh, investment across a lot of different areas, advertising, you know, capital in, uh, in, in our plants continue to, expand headcount where that's necessary and you know a lot of other things. And so I think that's a little bit unique too because there's quite a bit of diversity of things that we're covering every year that maybe some some companies that don't have both that technology focus and the production focus that um, you know this is some so many companies don't have to deal with that. As the company has grown and scaled, has the role of finance had to change or evolve at all? Absolutely, it has, and I think um, part of that is goes hand in hand with I referenced it a few times. This change from a very centralized 
business to uh, an organizational structure that's highly decentralized. You know, there's just a lot of changes in um, kind of the operating system. I use that term broadly, but the operating system you need to run that sort of decentralized operations. And I think finance plays a huge role in that. And so, yeah, I think that's that's certainly one. Um, but there's also, you know, as we've gotten larger, as we've continued to expand globally, um, all while still investing in our businesses in a fairly significant way, um, you know, finance plays a hu huge role in making sure that there's objectivity uh, in evaluating those investments, their success, making sure that we have feedback loops to understand whether things played out the way we thought they would or not, and then can learn from that. And so, yeah, I think um, it's definitely it's definitely evolved. Uh, I think finance is critical to that. And uh, and we've actually, and even in our Vistaprint business specifically, we've made changes to get finance deeper into the organization uh, and really invest there because we think it's critical to what we're doing. And I'll link that back into, you've mentioned innovation a few times too, um, the need to make sure that we're leveraging data uh, in a smart way as well. And I think finance has a big role to play there to push. What kind of data? It can be anything, you know, it can, it can be um, uh, customer data that, you know, in terms of just making sure that uh, over time we can have a more personalized experience for customers when they come to the site or the products that we recommend to them or uh, even emails that we send to them. And we have a, a, a lot more we can do there. Uh, it can be, um, it can be employee data and making sure we're being smart about what we can learn from that in terms of trends and hiring patterns and so on. Um, it can be data and supply chain and making sure that we're being smart in how we're procuring and understanding um, what's being bought in each of these decentralized businesses such that we can optimize that and work with our suppliers around the world to do that in an organized fashion to leverage our scale. And so, and I could go on, you know, it's, it's data is everywhere now. Um, uh, and, uh, and we, you know, we need to leverage that smartly. I think next time you come back on CXO Talk, we should, we should talk in depth about uh, the kinds of data because it's so important these days. It's critical. We've, I, as a uh, reference point, and, and you, you might, after I say what I'm going to say, you probably just interview this person. We, um, in our Vistaprint business, we just hired a, a chief data officer, actually. It's the first time we've had that role. Um, and uh, that person is looking after both data and analytics and um, uh, both so we can be more structured about data, um, but also develop data products that we can leverage throughout our business uh, to be able to be more efficient, smarter, and ultimately to help our customers better as well. So a lot of the emphasis is on using data, not just for financial metrics and so forth, or financial insight and understanding, but to directly uh, benefit your customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about coronavirus. We have businesses all over the world. Uh, we have uh, you know over fourteen thousand team members around the world. So uh, yeah, I think I think I think every company in some way is thinking about this, is planning around this, and reacting to this. I think first and foremost, this is a you know a people uh, and human issue, and so I think we uh, we have to make sure we focus on that first, making sure that. Um, yeah, uh, all of our team members around the world are, are safe and that we're being planful about that, being decisive and um, uh, making sure that we're staying out ahead of, uh, of that as well. There's a lot of thought going into that um, uh, and each of our businesses is coordinating that uh, as well. So, um, so that's first and foremost, um, you know, we do have uh, a business in Northern Italy, for example, and 
uh, Pixar Printing, unbelievable business. Uh, and you know their operations there, uh, you know c- can you know, continue. And uh, but they're being very planful uh, and in communicating with and and uh, uh, organizing with their team members there, uh, increasing you know basic things like you know making sure that sanitary conditions and you know, hand washing and you know some of that stuff that health organizations and um, uh, the CDC and others are advising. And so promoting that. So we're, we're following that, uh, leveraging whatever we can learn from that. You know, I think, so that's on the, on the people side of it. We have a, uh, we do have a, s- a small business in, in China, uh, and those people have not been in the, in the office for, uh, some time. They're starting to come back to work now. It's a, sm- it's a small business for us, but nonetheless, we're staying close to that. Um, on the financial side of it. So that's on the people side of it. And I expect that that will continue to be fluid and, and, you know, we have a responsibility to, be planful, uh, making sure that we're protecting our people, uh, and also be measured, you know, and I think we want to be on the right side of aggressive, but also be measured on the financial side of it. Of course, um, there's all any number of things that we need to continue to evaluate. And, um, uh, and it's really tough to say what impact there will be, uh, our supply. We have some supply chain in China, uh, mostly for, our national pen business, and uh, to date, there hasn't been any material disruption to that. We continue to watch that, um, and uh, otherwise, you know, I think uh, because you know, demand impacts for locations that um, uh, you know have quarantines on a larger scale or lockdowns, I think, is something that you know we'll continue to watch, and just any other broader impacts. It, it's really difficult to uh, to know. We're watching closely as it, as it evolves, and I think. We have a duty to make sure that again we're we're planning in a very diligent way, uh, and I hope that uh, you know I hope that we you know uh, that things progress in a positive direction from here, uh, you know both for the company but but even more so for the for the human element of it, which uh, you know of course uh, is is most critical. You use the term planful and planning quite a number of times. When you have a situation where there's so many unknowns. I think what you have to do is is plan and think ahead, and you, know, you want to be able to react if you need to. And uh, you know, uh, when you you can only do you can only do so much, but um, you plan as best you can. And uh, you know that means if there was ever a supply chain disruption, or uh, if there was a you know a location where we had an office and people couldn't come to work, or you know, any of these things, uh, you, you want to understand what you would what you would do if, if that ever came up. And again, you hope these things don't arise, but um, these are all possible, and so you yeah you you plan for them. But um, uh, but yeah, you, you hope they never come to fruition. There's another question from Twitter, and this is from Calvin Chan, and it's got a number of favorites likes on Twitter. So I think a number of people are interested in this question which is going back to uh, the finance function, what are some of the challenges to adopting new technology in finance that you see? One of the challenges is that sometimes, um, sometimes on, in, in financial technology, there's uh, as much of a benefit to flexibility as there is a benefit to kind of sta- a stable environment. And Sometimes uh, there's a real cost to, to to switching some of these things, and so um, uh, you know we've, as a company, I think we've always been on the progressive end of adopting new technologies in general. 
but also on the uh, on the finance front. There's a number of uh, SaaS solutions that are point solutions that you know I would say we were on the on the um, uh, more progressive side of. Um, of course, when it comes to some of the things that just have to be done a hundred percent right every day, every month, every quarter, you know that's where y- you have to balance the extent of change and the 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 desire to be progressive with also. Uh, you know, a, a cost consciousness, but um, but also a need to make sure that that's stable and accurate, right? So I think that's the that's the challenge and the balance. But in general, we've always tried to be on the more progressive end to make sure that we have flexibility uh, and we can allow our team members to focus their time on you know what's most important and leverage technology where that's where that's available. And of course, in your case, your business technology is the foundation for everything you do. That platform. It is, and I think the more that we can integrate some of that financial technology with operational, the, the technology that's driving the operations, um, both the more efficient we can get, but also the smarter we can get in terms of uh, making better decisions and, uh, uh, and being more analytical and rigorous. And so there's, there's benefit there too. So those two things go hand in hand. And uh, as that technology has gotten more flexible, it allows us to be more deeply integrated uh, with, with the business and, and allow the business to be in a more self-service way, you know, smarter about the decisions that they make. Advice that you have for people who are in finance, who want to become a CFO, how do they get there? There were so many people uh, in my career that I was fortunate to uh, uh, interact with or have as mentors or managers or whatever it was that um, I firmly believe allowed me to uh, have the opportunity to to take that role. Uh, And those were, our past CFOs here, it was, you know, partners at KPMG that I worked with, um, but also, also Robert, our, our CEO, who, um, you know, I think was willing to take a, a bet on me and we had a good relationship and, and I, uh, am forever grateful for that in terms of any advice that I would give. I mean, I think one is that, um, the, the, my role, fortunately here at Simpress, because we've, uh, evolved so much and, grown so much. Uh, and I think that's, that's it's so core to how we operate. We change all the time. My role changed a lot as well. And so, um, and the times that I uh, advanced the most and learned the most were the times where the roles where I was the most uncomfortable. And so my first part of advice would be get uncomfortable. Um, because if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not growing and expanding at a pace that uh, is going to allow you to get to that. And so get uncomfortable is one. I would say two, learn everywhere you can. And that could be reading. Uh, it could be um, uh, in, in anything you do, making sure that you're trying to absorb as much information as possible. And then I would say three is try and get close to the business and really understand the business. And no matter what role you're in, ultimately, if you're in the CFO role, you have a lot of responsibilities, but you have to understand the business. You have to be close to the business. You have to have a point of view. And if you don't have a point of view, uh, then you're not going to be that constant agitator for progress that I mentioned before. Um, and so those are just a few things, but, um, and get out and get out and talk to people, learn from people that have done it. And, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't be bashful about that. All right. Well, unfortunately we are out of time, but it's been a very, very fast 30 minutes. Sean, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today on CXO Talk. 
This is great. Thanks a lot for your time, Michael. And um, uh, I look forward to my continued subscription of your, uh, of your, of your uh, series. So thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Everybody, thank you for watching. Before you go, please subscribe on YouTube and hit the subscribe button at the top of our website to get our newsletter. Next week, we are speaking with the chief technology officer, who's also the chief information officer for Deloitte. It's one of the very largest consulting organizations on the face of the planet. So that'll be a pretty interesting show. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great day and we will see you again soon. Bye-bye.